Data-Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of Story IQ, Dominic Bohan. Yesterday, Cameron and I talked about why ChatGPT can't solve business problems. Today, we're going to continue our conversation and discuss the challenges of creating an AI data platform. Here's my conversation with Cameron Turner the VP of Data Science, Ken and Carter. Yes, always a good reminder. It's, uh, it's so easy to forget the old uh, correlation not equal to causation. So anything else that you wanted to highlight on the first topic there? We won't include this bit in the recording, but we've talked about why ChatGPT can't solve business problems. So the next topic, I think it flows nicely, is the challenges of creating an AI data platform. Yeah, well, it, you're right. Our prior conversation is a good segue into this. I think, you know, going back to the, the first question, ChatGPT gave us this little pinhole into a realm of AI that wasn't available or accessible to a lot of people. Access to large language models was dominated by, you know, APIs, you know, application programmatic, you know, interfaces. So people who wrote code could access these things, but everyone else really couldn't. And so that was you know, a challenge. What ChatGPT gave us is the ability to access, you know, a good chunk of the entire internet, you know, through a chat uh, level interface. And so, you know, the challenge is if when you apply that into the enterprise space, you want to solve, you know, for the same thing. You want to say, wow, we've been in business for 60 years. Why can't I ask any question of my of my data? It's kind of the thing that everyone's been asking for all along is just give me the, you know, the, the, sing- the Google box, you know, on top of, you know, on top of my data that I can ask it anything and it will come back not just with the content, but actually with the answer and maybe even the people um, I should talk to um, in order to get a good, good answer to my question. But the prerequisite for that is, is quite a bit of engineering in order to get to the point where you can do that. And also recognizing, you know, that chat isn't the best, you know, user interface for data always. And so I think that's, you know, when you think about challenges, the, the, the first step is always defining, you know, what's the use case. People say, you know, lowest hanging fruit. It can be that. It doesn't have to be. But really, you know, where are we going to find value immediately and start to build a data-driven culture based on the, the opportunities that, that exist inside of, inside of our data? So there are very specific questions that can be answered. So, you know, for us, think about the challenges. One of the things we talk about is, you know, a steel thread that goes from a data point, the data that comes into whatever systems you have. And for some, you know, a lot of companies, it's still, you know, an Excel file that came in email from your supplier. It's still (laughs) what happens out there. Uh, But even if it's just that, um, from that data point, you know, all the way through to the outcome, and then starting to build around that so that there's not technical debt, you're not investing in things that are throwaway, and you're building in an extensible way that you can, you're not bound to a specific cloud service provider or a specific set of tools that you have the ability and extensibility to to swap in and out parts over time as your as your business changes. So I would say those are, you know, some of the the key challenges is just how do you not, 
you know, go down the path of a single, you know, technology provider and kind of get stuck or limited based on sort of the focus that they have. If they're just a company that historically is focused on, uh, you know, sales data, you might, for example, get, you know, stuck in a CRM platform when really what you want to do is blend that with your operational data to get a better job of how to influence manufacturing. And that's a non-trivial problem, but it, it, you know, you kind of have to address it right up front and say, what do we want to do in order to create something that can grow over time? Well, I like your kind of dream end state of the ultimate, if you can call it that, AI data platform, where you can ask any question about your business or ask for any set of numbers or data, or even who do I talk to for any given problem? And it pulls in all the different structured and unstructured data from your business. So it sounds like a bit of an unrealistic dream, but perhaps we want to get as close as possible to that state. So if that's a reasonable kind of goal to shoot for, what are the ways that we could start to get close to that? So we're not just looking at sales data, we're looking at perhaps every proposal that's ever been sent, all of the emails, all of the Slack messages, all of these different data points that we could use that could help us solve problems. Yeah, well, I'll speak of one example. There's a startup in, in New York. It's a spin out from a big bank. Uh, they're called Louisa.ai. And they're, they, had a, they understood a secret. I worked for years on SharePoint at Microsoft. And we worked very hard on cataloging every document that sit, sits inside the organization and make it searchable and indexable without ideally a lot of metadata entry. I don't have to type in like this document is about blah, 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 because you know, it would suss through the content. This is obviously a long time ago, but even still. Yeah. Was this for Microsoft's internal documents or this was to have this in the product for everyone? This was, yeah, this was a product. So SharePoint was a document repository that let enterprise, you know, have access to, you know, if I make a PowerPoint for, for my business, you know, my part of the business, everyone in the organization can search and find that PowerPoint, reuse it and so forth. Even if I've given it a silly file name and I haven't tagged it, it should know what's in that. And if it's a, a PowerPoint about sales, it should know that it's about sales. Exactly, exactly. And all along, and even you could think of Google and you know the Google algorithm where it all started, PageRank, uh, you know, as really being about finding information, organizing the world information is Google's tagline. And they do a great job at search and now enterprise search and all the tooling around that. Um, you know, and, and Microsoft search, same thing, but it's all been focused on the content. The, the secret that this startup Louisa has is that we're not trying to find the content. We're trying to find the people. And if we can find the people, then we'll get the answers to the questions that we need. And this might be, you know, more focused in, you know, the, the finance vertical, you know, and deal making and so forth. But I think that's true kind of everywhere. And we, we keep coming back to this where data is, you know, it's exhaust. It's an artifact of human activity. You know, if you can generalize all the way out to that, so at the end of the day, like bringing humans back into it, not just in terms of like the process of creating the answers, but also in the, you know, the workflows themselves, because people are going to always do that anyway. <laughs> you know, people are always going to go to the doctor that their friend recommends, regardless of what the outcomes look like. Uh, you know, so there's, there's always more we can do with data in order to influence that. But if we can start to connect people and, you know, build systems that, you know, not only acknowledge that, but actually empower people. Um, we'll be much better off than trying to build the Oracle system that can, you know, be the the Google box that answers any question. Okay, yeah, tell us a bit more about Louisa AI, how it uh, connects people. 
Yeah, so exactly kind of what you said. I mean, they're looking at, um, it's a startup, so very early days for, for them. But one of the things they're doing is parsing through a lot of, uh, well, the documents, uh, the meetings, the correspondence, the history, and then all the information that an organization might have. Because actually your company, if you're in an enterprise, they know a lot more about you than the internet does because you know of the relationship that you have and your contract and so forth. So, um, so leveraging that information in order to create better and more meaningful connections and create you know, planful serendipity, I think is their term, in terms of, uh, which I've heard before with, with other clients, you know, but how do you create this magic, you know, with, with data where the, the answer is always the best one? I think that's, that's, the, that's the right path. But it goes back to what you described. You're not absolved from going back and, uh, you know, doing all the, the hard work of, you know, sussing through all the, the data sources in order to get to that point. Hmm. So what does the user experience look like for someone that's using a platform like Louisa AI? So instead of saying, I've got a question about my data, like tell me what happened with sales of this product line this quarter, instead it's connecting me with the right person in my organization or it's connecting me with someone I could sell more product to. What's its output? Yeah, I bring them up as an example of like really putting the human, you know, back in, in the loop you know, officially, not just HITL, they call it when, you know, humans are looking at the output before it goes out, but really like putting the, the human as a first class citizen in, in, in all the scenarios, it's not the only thing. There's full automation works in a lot of scenarios where it isn't today. There's a lot of clipboards still in the world with, with little, you know, sheets and printouts where someone has to come by and like fill in the boxes. You know, those systems are, are, are going away, but they're not going away that fast. <laughs> Sometimes the clipboard just becomes an iPad, but they're still doing, you know, all the same manual, uh, you know, sort of data entry um, without a lot of optimization. That's, I think, where, where AI can play a stronger part. So, you know, I think it's useful to think of it, you know, AI integration into enterprise much more as a spectrum of activities that are going on inside an organization where on one side of the spectrum, you have full automation. And on the other side, you have, you know, full analog, like this is something that can never be you know, replaced by technology. You know, if you start on the left, you say, well, let's take a, a manufacturing volumes. Like uh, we can probably do better through automation to optimize manufacturing volumes for future demand based on AI models. Like, I don't think anyone's going to question that. Hiring and firing people. Like, should you hire someone or fire them without having a conversation with them? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, so, and then every other business problem that the enterprise has, you know, you could probably peg somewhere on that, you know, on that continuum. But knowing where you are is really critical because if you get, if you peg it at the wrong place, you're bound for problems. What about Microsoft Copilot in terms of, hey, maybe you've already got all of this stuff in Microsoft Suite. Is that almost a ready to go AI data platform where Microsoft can help you start almost being the Oracle, answering questions, putting the pieces together? Yeah, I have a few things to say about that. Microsoft is a fantastic partner for Ken and Carta. We've worked with them for years. And, and then, of course, you know my history. I spent you know, a decade there. And there's, there's two versions of Copilot that folks have probably heard of. One is um, what's in Office 365, which I think you're referring to, which is about document completion and, and what, what uh, knowledge workers can do with AI. And then there's also Copilot you know, baked into GitHub and what you can do with, uh, for programmers. So, but in both cases, I think, you know, Warren Buffett has this great, great quote, you know, you, you can only tell, you know, who has their swim trunks on when the tide goes out. And I think that's kind of a similar thing for knowledge work. We're having this moment where there could be some jobs out there 
where the job was really nothing more than sort of padding content or, you know, filing, you know, specific, you know, a TPS report to use a, a movie reference, you know, where those jobs really shouldn't be, those are not creative jobs. They're not leveraging the, the humanness of the humans <laughs> that are involved in them. And so, you know, that will change the nature of work for, for, you know, for a, a lot of, a lot of folks, but I think for the majority of jobs, and actually it's, it's really knowledge worker jobs we're talking about because things you do with your hands are not yet automated and won't be in, in the near term. So this belief that, you know, it's going to take all of the, you know, AI will take away all of the low wage work and, and, you know, can further cause, you know, wealth con, you know, concentration and so forth. I don't think that's true. It's actually hitting, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. You know, I, I made a pretty good living building AI models for years and years, and and now AI does a better job of creating AI models, or specifically machine learning models through automated machine learning. Things that took us three months in a team before now we can do on on our platforms. You know, literally in the meeting with a CSV data set and start to play around with it. So, mm. What kind of models specifically is it able to do so quickly now? Yeah, great question. So uh, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, data where you have an answer. And you're trying to create a model that will answer and recommend for future data. That's really it, and that's called you know, supervised machine learning. So that's that's where we're in, in a pretty good state. Not that there's no human in the loop in that process, just that the optimization of getting as accurate as you can um, is something that can be now done, you know, with with highly scalable cloud services in a way that you know we were we were doing on our laptops, you know, even even five or six years ago. So you were writing code to build the models. That's right. And now That's right. you can just almost push a button and just say, Absolutely. predict the risk of churn or default. That's right. You can. And then the challenge is, you know, what we were talking about before, the, uh, the interpretation of that, both from a technical standpoint and from a business and from an ethics. So you've got sort of three, three big things to solve for. And if you don't answer one of them, you're, you're going to get in trouble. So that's where, you know, the humans are, are still there. But going back to your question with with Copilot, you know there are massive accelerants that are are enabled through that. You know, and this, you know, I worked on Clippy. I'm embarrassed to say, or I should be, maybe I'm proud to say it. You know, way back in the day, you know, and my job was to look at the what people typed into Clippy, and everyone wanted to have a little conversation and make make a buddy out of Clippy <laughs> rather than just asking it to write a letter. But now you can actually ask word to write a letter and it will do a pretty good job for you, you know, and you can, you can change a few things and ship it. And that's going to make people much more productive. Took 20 years, but Clippy finally got there. That's right. He had the final say. Mm. Cool. Okay. So we've talked about some out of the box solutions like Copilot to AI data platforms. What about some of the work that you do with customers to build more bespoke AI data platforms to get the most out of AI and the data they already have? Yeah. So some of the challenges, I mean, going back to your comment about data foundations, you know, we're very focused on data quality, garbage in, garbage out. Everyone's heard it. Very true in AI because the garbage that comes out will look nothing like the garbage that went in. So just trying to source, you know, where the garbage points are can be a huge challenge. So that's, um, you know, gets down into questions like data provenance. Where did this data come from? Data stewardship. Who owns this data? You know, who's going to know if something goes awry? If there's a relationship behind the data, if it's third-party data, who's who's managing that from a business standpoint, and then you know bringing in disparate data sources, trying to make sense of it. So um, things like building out good data dictionaries, even um, autom- through automation, you can build ontologies to understand relationships between different data. 
harmonization. I'm dropping a bunch of keywords, but these are the things we talk about every day. Harmonization, you know, making sure customer there means customer here, you know, dollar there means dollar there, you know, and then of course the one that anyone who's ever worked with data knows like that this date and time means the same as this date and time over there, which is plagues everybody. So those are the kinds of, you know, it's, it's not glamorous work a lot of times, but those are the kinds of things we need to get back to, which are, what are the foundational pieces so that we know, you know, date and time are correct and customers over here on this brand is the same customer as um, over there on that brand. And, you know, data latency is another big one, which actually binds directly to, you know, recency and then sort of what the use case is. Do I need real time or not? That's a, a huge question that a company has to answer because the difference in cost for doing something that's real time is very different from near time is very different from, you know, doing a monthly or, or even a daily report. So those are the kinds of, of places we start with is put aside, um, you know, sort of the, you know, the, the technical piece, but just answering, what do you really need to get out of this data? What are you trying to achieve? And then working backwards from there, backing into, you know, the technical stack, what's required in order to enable that. Right. And maybe you don't need to build the most amazing, perfect solution. Exactly. And also, you know, you bring up a good point, which is don't invest in the three-year project to get to the point where you can run your first report because the system will be out of date because of the, the pace of, of what's changing. And the questions that you need to answer at that point are probably not the same, you know, as what you're thinking now. So extensibility is, I guess, the name of the game. Mm, so it kind of comes full circle back to our episode yesterday, the first episode on the limitations of ChatGPT solving business problems. And so one of those limitations is, of course, asking the right questions. What do we actually need to get out of this data? Or even put data to the side, what problems do we need to solve as a business? So is that something you help your customers work through? Because I'm sure sometimes they come to you and they're like, okay, we need this data lake, we need this dashboard, and they're not even clear on why they need it. Yeah, that's right. And this whole conversation has been about about data. For Kin and Carta, we actually grew out of products and experiences organizations. So building website, building mobile applications, um, and all of that. And data is actually one of the last things we did. Cloud migration, and then uh, modernization of application stacks, all of those things are that sort of the bread and butter for, for Kin and Carta going back. So I think, you know, to your question, it's really, for us, we think of it as a, you know, data as a piece in the puzzle. Uh, or ultimately, it's you know it is about experiences. It is about product. It is about business change. It is about strategy. Um, and how do you influence strategy with data? Because you know the first thing, if you hire any strategy consultant, they're going to do is go out and collect as much information as they can before they even open their mouth if they're good. <laughs> so you know the, we try to plug into those pieces. And a lot of times, the, the part of the organization that I own um, is really about supporting those other those other parts of the organization who are answering these critical problems, helping to develop three-year plans, trying to, you know, identify opportunities to, uh, you know, migrate services into the cloud. Yeah, that can all be supported through, through data work. Any stories you can share of problems that you identified or questions that needed to be asked and how you may be able to limit the scope and complexity of the data you needed once you understood the problem thoroughly? Yes, I, I'll give you one example that I think everyone might be familiar with. Um, if you have a printer, chances are this printer was made by this company that we were working with. And there was a wonderful uh, senior executive there, and she ran the uh, the software business. And she looked around and saw infinite amount of data and telemetry that was coming from these printers. And also in that same business, in the, in the print business, 
there's a, a, a strong business around selling ink for, you know, this is true for any printer company that they make most of their money selling the ink, not the printer. And so what she said is, wow, look at all this data that we have and look at this business that we're trying to grow. What if we married those two things? And so you can kind of imagine, you know, what the, the mind map looked like, a whole bunch of data sources on the left-hand side, whole bunch of potential things you can do, you know, with, you know, with that data from promotions and pricing optimization and recommendation, retail, co-marketing, you know, you name it, just all the things you might be able to do with all this great, great data uh, that we had. What is the data? Is that the actions the printer takes getting fed back to the company? Exactly. So telemetry that comes from the device, but also um, interactions that the consumer would have with that organization through the app, through promotions, through the website and so forth and so on. So uh, lots of things, you know, those are all the things that are on the left-hand side, that potential, you know, raw material, call it, for, for what could be done. What she wisely guided us to do and what we ended up building together is a system that just took a very specific thing, which is, my printer runs out of ink. What could we do with that? Um, and running that through the system, again, that steel thread from that specific data point for that particular user through the system to make a recommendation back to that user hey, would you like to, uh, you know, have some ink? <laughs> you know, it's so simple. It's really so simple, but you can do that across different yep. channels. You can do that through banner ads. You can do that through emails. You can do that through in-app promotion, all kinds of places to do that. But just taking that one signal, a known pain point that a customer has, and then solving it with data and connecting them to the solution. And I think, you know, that it's, an, it's sort of an archetype of great data projects where you've got the problem represented by the data and the recommendation, which is, is predicted through the data directly to a solution for the, uh, for the original stakeholder. And when you get that right, things work, work really well and they can, they can grow. Right. I, I love it. I love the simplicity of it and coming back to the fundamentals. How does this company make its money by selling ink? So let's make sure we sell the ink as, as soon as we can, as opposed to, I can just imagine a data scientist or myself when I was younger in my earlier in my career going, oh, oh, we've got access to all of this data. This is fantastic. Let's get it all in. Let's get it updating as frequently as possible. Let's cluster and segment the <laughs> customers based on as many variables as possible and build all sorts of elaborate models. And it's like, no, they're running out of ink. Let's send them an email. Let's send them a reminder, whatever the case may be. I think that's right. You know, I was uh, helping my dad move uh, over the weekend. And there is that moment where when you get all the things in the house and the door closed, for anyone that's moved, you have that feeling of, okay, now everything's here. <laughs> the, you know, the U-Haul trucks returned and, and, and everything's in the house. It's still in boxes. It's kind of a mess, but at least it's all here. And I think there is an instinct to sort of get to that point where you get everything in the house in all of its messy form. But then I think the first thing you have to do is before you really get into you know, placing all the decorations in the right spot is really think about what do I need to do now? Like, what's the what's the thing that's going to have the biggest you know effect for the for for the business right now? Um, and just focus on on that outcome. And then over time, you can unpack the boxes and and do more. But I think it's it's challenging if you try to go in and say everything has to be set up before I can do the first thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I like the moving analogy because it's so overwhelming. And it's like, well, what do I need? Maybe it's just some plates and towels and underwear and like the absolute most basic things. Yep. And sort out the rest later. Yep. Yep. And one side note on that, I think, you know, the, the cloud is often the new house. Um, and that's something that we, we find a lot. There's one thing to do migration. It's a different thing to do modernization. And so if all you're doing is moving 
you know, from your servers onto hosted servers, you never took advantage of the opportunity that the cloud now offers in order to sort of, you know, do all the sorting and cleansing before you move into the new house, which is always, um, you know, there's never enough time to do that. But that's that's always the best practice, right? You should get rid of all the goodwill before you before you move. Otherwise, you're just moving piles. That's always me. I'm like, okay, I'm moving. This is a perfect opportunity to sort things out. And then I get to the last minute and I'm like, all right, just throw everything in boxes and then I'll sort it out at the new place. Exactly. That, it's exactly what happens. That's the reality of it. So anything else that you wanted to add on our second topic, challenges of creating an AI data platform? Yeah, I mean, I would just say that at the end of the day, you know, what I said yesterday as well, trust your instincts, you know, that the instinct of a, of a even a fully non-technical business decision maker are dominantly correct. So there's a lot of things you can buy in the market, a lot of tools, a lot of excitement and hype around AI. But I think it's worth, you know, pausing for a moment, you know, asking the question, you know, that we're recording this in September of 2023. What do I want to finish by the end of calendar year? What can I actually get done? What can, how can I influence the business? What kind of lift do I think I can get? And go after that and not get too bogged down in all the excitement of the tools um, and the technologies. So to answer the question, the, the greatest challenge of creating an AI data platform, could we summarize it as the greatest challenge is not being too much of a perfectionist and building the minimum viable AI data platform that's going to get something done in the next three months or the next six months. Yeah, I think that's right. Or said another way, start small and grow, um, but but prove prove value along the way because no one wants to be you know out over their skis and and you know hoping that things work out two years into a big modernization project. Like no one can afford that, especially not in current economic position. So you know find the thing that's going to create value and and go go get it. I think that's a great way for Andy to get out. Awesome. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you so much, Dominic. This is super fun. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks to Cameron Turner, VP of Data Science at Kin and Carter for joining us. If you'd like to contact Cameron, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at cturner50, or visit his company website, kinandcarter.com. Just one link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com. We've got summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you want to share your most compelling use cases for data with our audience, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Data Driven Podcast. Of course, you can always contact me directly on LinkedIn. My name is Dominic Bohan. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. That's all for today. Remember, until next time, when it comes to data, less is more. Uh-huh.